Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary, and I'm honored by how many people listen to this podcast each and every week. I keep making this podcast for you, for the listeners. I'd like to invite you to a very special opportunity to become a part of the How They Love Mary community through Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash howtheylovemary. And in exchange, there are two different tiers and there's going to be bonus content, two additional videos each month, and the opportunity to pose a question that I will ask to the guest. I hope that you will help support this podcast, How They Love Mary, through the Patreon With your support, I'll be able to upgrade my equipment. With your support, I'll be able to pay for the monthly web hosting and not out of my own pocket. With your support, I will be able to hire a graphic designer to make images so that this podcast may be better known. Thanks for listening. And now, on with the show for today. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. As we talk about the Blessed Mother and think about Mary, you know, she had a central role in that Christmas story, in that account of Bethlehem, and there are many children's books about Christmas, and every year we get a few more. And this year we are blessed with Anthony DiStefano, who has written a new book called The Grumpy Old ox. And it's a beautiful story. I had the chance to read it and to go through it. And I can't wait to talk with Anthony DiStefano about his new book. You might remember he was on episode 29 talking about the beautiful wardrobe of Our Lady. So he is a very prolific writer. He has 20 Christian books for adults and children, including a travel guide to heaven, 10 prayers God always says yes to, and the donkey no one could ride and a little star. So it seems like this continues his Christmas narrative uh, for the children. And so happy to have you on today, Anthony. Oh, uh, thank you so much for having me, Father. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, maybe my first question, I think, probably would be, why another Christmas story? You've written some Christmas books in the past, and now here's another one. Why write another one? And maybe even, what inspired the story behind this one? Well, first of all, I think that while there are a lot of Christmas books out there, there are just not enough Christmas books, especially for children, that talk about the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, you know, that's very, very important. There aren't that many of those that are really well done. Uh, Christmas has been secularized almost beyond recognition. It's almost a cliche to say that. Uh, this book is not about Santa Claus or about decorations or lights, you know, as nice as those things are. This is about the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, so I think that you, that we'd be better off as a world if we had many, many more, uh, stories about that, 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 that entertain children and, and inform them about this, the beginning of the greatest story of all time. So I think that, um, there's a need for it. As far as the, the reason for doing this particular book, I think that the ox is one of the neglected uh, animals in Scripture. You know, everyone talks about the donkey and sheep, and etc., and I've done that myself. As you mentioned, I uh, wrote a book called The Donkey That No One Could Ride. Um, but, you know, in the book of Isaiah, there's a quote that says, you know, the ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but 
but my people do not understand. And, and, and this is understood to be the, one of the bases for our belief that there was an ox present at the nativity. That and the fact that just it's a common occurrence to have an ox in a stable. So I thought, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to write a story about the birth of Jesus uh, from the point of view of an ox? And, and, and wouldn't it be interesting to create a character unlike uh, the normal characters that are in Christmas books? You know, the, most of these animal characters in children's books are very, very nice and cute and adorable. And I thought, why not create a really grumpy, mean, old, blind ox uh, and, and then and try to teach children a little bit about the virtue of uh, humility, you know, because, you know, uh, you know, this is the foundation of the whole spiritual life. I thought it would be just a great way, uh, a great character. I know that children are, attra- you know, they can be grumpy themselves, so they're attracted to grumpy characters. And, you know, characters like Oscar the Grouch on Sesame Street and Ebenezer Scrooge from A Christmas Carol, these characters can be very attractive because underneath their gruff exterior, we know that they're really wounded souls, and, they, and they're, 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 they're good, and they're, they're generous. We just have to, you know, bring that out. Uh, God brings the good out through grace. So I thought it would be an original way to tell the Christmas story. Well, that's great. And you know what? I don't think we can ever exhaust the story of Christmas. So you're right that there's not enough out there to really unpack that meaning of Christmas. And it's interesting you mentioned talking about the ox, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there are some nativity sets out there that have elephants in them, and they put the elephant as a part of the Christmas story. So maybe that's a story for the ages one day as well. Yeah, if, Father, get, get, you keep giving me more ideas, Father. The more animals uh, I, that are there, I'll write a, a children's story for every single one of them. Why not? And, you know, people, this is an interesting point, Father. You know, sometimes people say to me, well, how come you write about you know, donkeys and, and, and oxes and stars and things like that. Why don't you just write about people? After all, these stories are really about people, after all. I mean, they could talk to the animals. And the reason is just very simple, psychological reason, and that's that animals are much more approachable for children than human beings. You know, human beings, people are intimidating to little children, uh, and they're, a figure, they're figures of authority. But when you have a cute ox or a cute donkey, you can get a really important point across about very important theological uh, subjects in a way that the child will not be intimidated. So that's just the reason why we have animals in these stories. Yeah, you talk about the grumpy ox and make him blind and you created this, but at the very end of the story, we see the transformation that happens in the ox. And I don't want to necessarily give it away, but anybody that knows the Gospels can kind of figure out maybe what happens to the blind, grumpy ox after he encounters the Christ child there in the manger in Bethlehem. And what I also like about the story, too, is that I think that you bring out the story of the innkeeper just a little bit, but, you know, he's kind of a neglect figure as well of the Christmas narrative. And uh, so you feature him a little bit just because the ox belongs to him. So you're helping to tell the stories of some of these characters of the Christmas story. Yes, yes. And I made the the innkeeper kind of a mirror figure of the He's also a prideful, mean, a vain kind of a person. And I did that, you know, to, to, to emphasize the fact that this book is really about spiritual pride. You know, I wanted to have two characters in it that, that, that just stood out as being prideful and mean. And as we know, pride always results in a blindness. 
it's it's the worst sin because you know you make yourself into God. You know, Satan said, "I'll set my throne above the stars and and be like God." And you know, when you do that, it always leads to you being angry because you feel your rights are always being violated because you're so important. And that always leads to alienation and loneliness because who wants to hang around someone who's like that? And of course, the antidote to that is humility. Humility, well, the, the key in the spiritual life, humility, humility, and humility. And, and, uh, and when this grumpy old ox sees the Christ child, he has an, he has an insight that, that this, this, this baby must be from heaven. And he's so perfect and so humble and so pure. And he, the, the ox recognizes that he is so, that the ox is, 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 is unhappy and prideful, whereas this little pure, humble babe is uh, surrounded by kings who are worshiping him. And, and, and so he has an insight into what's important in life. And that's really what this story is about, the fact that in order to overcome spiritual blindness, you need to be humble, because humility leads to appreciation, gratitude, and, and ultimately uh, happiness. And, and of course, there's the other big message of this book, Father, is it's very Eucharistic. Um, yes, I, was I, just I don't know if you bring saw that. that out. When you... Yes, because the baby is laid in the manger where there's the hay, and then there's the bucket of water that that um, that she washes the Christ child with. But then after the Holy Family leaves, well, then the ox goes and eats from the manger, eats the hay, that's the Eucharist, that's the bread of life, and then goes and drinks out of there, out of the pail of water, which kind of symbolic of the blood of Christ or the the wine. At least that was my take, and that was actually a question I was going to ask. I figured it was very yes. intentional on your part. Yes, yes. Well, you know, people don't realize that the, the nativity story is so shot through with Eucharistic imagery. You know, God is the greatest writer. He's the author of life. So, of course, when he writes a story, he loads it up with, with beautiful imagery and symbols. You know, the, the name Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread. So Jesus, who is the bread of life, was born in a town called House of Bread, and he was placed in a manger. And some of your Italian listeners may know that the word mangiare means to eat. The word manger means to eat, and it's the place where stable animals eat their straw and their hay. They eat their food out of it. So here it is, the bread of life manger, and the, the, the significance is very, very clear. Jesus came to feed the hungry you know, and to restore sight to the blind, and to set free uh, the captives, people who are captive to sin. So, of course, when this, when this ox eats out, of the, uh, eats out of the manger, and he drinks out of the water, and remember, Jesus is the source of living water also, of course he experiences a kind of a baptism, and kind of a, a Eucharistic uh, experience there, uh, because he who eats the bread of life will, will, will never be hungry. And that's, that's, where, that's why he's able to experience this transformative miracle of grace. But yes, I definitely meant it to have, I didn't explicitly say, you know, this is Eucharistic, but I, but I wanted to introduce children to this idea, this concept of eating um, the bread of life. And you have a very nice style of writing. You're a professional, of course. You've done this before, so that shouldn't be a surprise. But every little mantra is four lines, and you rhyme the second and the fourth line. So what is the role of rhyme as you tell a story? It's probably to help people to memorize a story, and, and it really becomes lyrical in that sense. Is that right? 
Yes, and sometimes it gets a little sing-songy as well, but remember, we're writing for children here, so, you know, I don't have to, you know, write uh, in the meter of Shakespeare or a great poet. We're not trying to write great, great poetry. We want to write memorable lines for a child that would make an impression on, on him or her. So, yes, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the, the impact it has on a child to remember something. But there is a deeper meaning, uh, Father, uh, which I don't understand myself 100%, but it has to do with the power of rhyme in general. You know, the whole the harmony and beauty of the spheres, as it's called. The idea that, you know, you go a lot, you know, God gives us life and we go back to God. There's something in, in the spheres and the circular element that is very beautiful and, and harmonious. And when you when you rhyme something, you start with a sound of a word, and then at the end of the stanza, it has a similar sound. It's sort of like, you know, going around in a circle, and it sort of feeds into our psychology. And it's somehow it's very satisfying to us. And, and I don't know the reason, but in some way, it's, it's built into, into God's creation that way. Uh, I'm, not, I'm articulating this badly, but, but the point is that, that rhyme, if done well, can be very powerful. I remember rhyming books that I read when I was a little kid, when I was you know, five years old. I still remember that 50 years later. So, um, so, of course, if we can get children to remember things about Jesus that way, well, then, you know, that, that's pretty good. That's, 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 that's one of the reasons why I write in rhyme. I think one of the nice things about children's books, and this is something that you see with parents when they come to Mass, when they bring their kids, they bring, you know, a little sack of books, and then the child goes through the books and is looking at them, or even in their home, um, they receive children's books. Like, I gave a book to a family, and I know that their kids have read that book several times, so... The nice thing about children's books, you know, for an adult, give me a novel, I'll read the novel, I'll probably never read it again. Give a book to a child, they're going to read it over and over and over again. They're going to have that story ingrained in them. And we hope then that it makes that impression upon them, that it will kind of stay with them uh, all throughout their life, that there'll be something like when they read your book, The Grumpy Old Ox, well, they'll see how you can become, how you can go from being grumpy to being joyful, how you can go from being prideful to being humble. And so that's kind of the the beauty of what you're doing is that these stories will become really a part of their life. I hope so, and I hope that later on when they get older and they read the, the gospel, then they read about the nativity or they read about, say, the donkey that carried Jesus into Beth, into to Jerusalem. You know, the fact that they have will have already read books like mine, uh, The Donkey That No One Could Ride, or The Grumpy Old Ox, or Little Star, that in, in the back of their minds, some of those concepts will already be, will already be there, so it, the gospel will be more familiar to them, will, it will feel more at home to them, will, it will feel less strange to them, and it will be, therefore, easier for them to, to accept and to interiorize the, the, the very profound truths that they run into in the gospel and in life especially if they, if they come in across these concepts very early when they're young and impressionable, it can make a huge difference later on, even if they don't you know, explicitly remember the, the book. If it made an impression on them, it could help them later on. Uh, and, of course, not to go into this subject, but, uh, but, but as, as we all know, 
there there is a, a culture war right now and 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 people and you know those who are anti-christian are very much uh trying to jump over the heads of parents and you know uh uh using propaganda trying to brainwash children into believing very secular anti-christian things and so it's important not, it's important to us uh for us to to step in and and educate our children with correct Christian uh, morals and values. Maybe let's just talk a little bit about your favorite part of Christmas. So we're coming up to the Christmas holiday, and what what is it about the season of Christmas that you enjoy the most? As we kind of get in the spirit of Christmas with music, as we read books, as we watch movies, and so forth, what is it for you that you love about the Christmas holiday? Well, you know, I come from one of these big Italian families and from, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, father. And, you know, you know, when I was growing up, everybody would be over the uncles and the aunts and the cousins. And it would be, you know, it felt like a thousand people were all around and everybody was having a great time. And, you know, and, and so it, to me, I associate it with family and, uh, you know, uh, lasagna and all those great Italian meals. Uh, so, and I still have that today. And, and, and I think also that's why some people find Christmas and the holidays very, very difficult, of course, as, as these people we love pass on. Um, these memories of them sting us during the holiday season. And so, you know, the very same thing that makes these holidays so joyful and wonderful uh, can be very uh, a source of great suffering to us. And that's why we always have to remember uh, the truth of the, the uh, Christian doctrine about heaven. That's why I wrote my first book was A Travel Guide to Heaven, because people have to understand that, that these relatives, these loved ones that have died, and uh, that they're not gone. That someday we're going to see them again, and we're going to see them in the flesh with their bodies, because we believe in the doctrine of the resurrection of, of the body. So we're going to be able to, you know, hug our mom again and, 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 and run up to her and kiss her and hear her voice again, and it will be just like the, the, the Christmas time, that banquet that we have in heaven. It's very important for us to remember that as Christians, that, that we have a joyful, joyful religion no matter what has happened to us, no matter what suffering. You know, this wasn't in my prepared remarks or questions, but as I'm just thumbing through again the pages of your book, I... This is a podcast called How They Love Mary, and so uh, Mary is featured in the Christmas story as the mother of the Savior, and I'm just looking at the beautiful images that your illustrator did of the Blessed Mother, and there's this image here of her holding the Christ child, and that's something that I've prayed with during the Christmas season, kind of Mary holding out the Christ child, and you know, you have the shepherds come, you have the magi come, the three kings come uh, in your story. And so all of these people coming to the manger, and as we come to the manger in Bethlehem, that's something I always think about, Mary holding out the Christ child. And, uh, you know, what what would I do if I was there in Bethlehem? Would I, you know, kiss the child's forehead? Would I um, kneel down in adoration? And so just beautiful artwork uh, that Richard Cowdery, or Cowdery did, and uh, just wondering maybe yes, how Rich you found him and how do you how do you get to work with your illustrator? Sure. Well, first, let me just say that the book is very Marian. It's another one of those things that's not explicitly said, but the ox in this book stays at Our Lady's feet on the night of the Nativity, and it's really her that that he tries to help by after she gives birth to Jesus. He's the one who gives her the pail of water in which she can wash the baby Jesus, and he brings over the manger to Mary so she can lay her baby in it. So it's, it's really by helping Mary that eventually this ox receives his great miracle from Jesus. And, and obviously for theological reasons, 
you know, we Catholics believe that Mary has a great role to play as mediatrix of all graces. She has the great honor and privilege of dispensing the gifts and the graces that come through her son, Jesus Christ. So I wanted this book to be Marian without saying it. Uh, and yes, and I think Richard Cowdery, the artist, captures all of this very, very beautifully. He specializes in animals, in giving human expressions and human characteristics to animals. He's uh, famous all around the world for this. He's had a number of mega-selling New York Times best-selling books, and he became friends uh, with me many years ago when we did The Donkey That No One Could Ride, which became a big hit. And, um, you know, I believe that, that, that a lot of times these Christian books and Catholic books are not uh, illustrated in, in, in as, as, as well, as good as they can be. Uh, for economic reasons, maybe. But I have gone out of my... I think that because we're telling children the greatest story of all time, uh, the life of Jesus, that we should use the very best illustrators and produce the very best products and that these artists should be the, the caliber of, of, you know, Walt Disney uh, Studios. And that's what Richard is. So I, I insist whenever I work on any of my books that I get the very best, and I think Richard is, is the very best, and it's shown in, in these um, in books like The Grumpy Old Ox, how, how much he captures the personality, if you will, of, of these animals. Well, that's great. And you know what? I know that when we talked about Our Lady's Wardrobe, that you said that there was a hope for a second installment of Our Lady's Wardrobe. And I'm wondering if yes. that's still in the pipeline. Oh, yeah. It's this Easter, Father. It's called Our Lady's Picture Book. It's already done. Illustrated by the same person who did Our Lady's Wardrobe, uh, it's called Our Lady's Picture Book, and it will be out uh, in time for Easter. Sophia Institute Press, illustrated by Juliana Kolosova, who specializes in those very realistic kinds of pictures, different than Richard Cowdery. Uh, but for, for a book on Our Lady, where you want to convey the, the incredible beauty of Mary and the fact that she's real and she's breathing and living, even at this moment in heaven, I wanted to choose a different kind of artist. Uh, and, and, I, and I did that, and that book will be out in a few months. Well, great. I look forward to that. And maybe you'll come back for a third time on How They Love Mary to be able to talk about that beautiful book that I'm sure that it's going to be. So uh, I've so much enjoyed our conversation today about The Grumpy Old Ox, your latest children's book. It's available from Sophia Institute Press. And if people want to learn more about you, Anthony Stefano, how can they do that? I have a website, Father, www.anthonydestefano.com. Sorry for that long name. Uh, D-E-S-T-E-F-A-N-O, anthonydestefano.com. All my books are there. Well, that's so great, and I hope people will check out your book, give it as a gift for Christmas. I know that it's on my Christmas giving list uh, for the people that I buy gifts for, and hopefully it'll be on yours too if you're a parent, a grandparent, whoever you might be. If you have young people in your life, share the story of Christmas with them through the eyes of the grumpy old ox who experiences that transformation by the book's end. Thank you, Anthony, for joining me today. Thank you so much, Father. It's a pleasure. I'll be here as many times as you'll have me. Oh, that's great. Well, we'll keep having you. You keep writing, you'll keep coming. So, wonderful. Thank you, Father. You have been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that this podcast has either been the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the handle at FR Edward Looney. If you don't mind, please leave a review of this podcast. Please rate it on Apple Podcasts on whatever platform you listen. Share this podcast also on your social media if you don't mind. Until next time, let's remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless. Mm-hmm.